is a Woodside Church podcast. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Good morning. morning. Right, so um, we are here, um, and our series for this Christmas period is Christmas Sounds. Um, so some of you may have been here um, over the last few weeks. Um, we had Ron May talk about the sound of comfort. Um, last week we had Stuart talk about the sound of song. Um, and today I'm going to talk about the sound of promise. The sound of promise. Um, we're going to be reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 57 to 80. Um, so if you have your Bibles with you, it's amazing, isn't it? These days, no one really carries Bibles, do they? We're all on phones or uh, we're reading it from the, uh, from the screen. But um, we're going to be reading from Luke's Gospel. Before we actually read, um, I'm going to just give you a little bit of um, a background to Luke. Um, how many of us know anything about Luke? How many of us think he was a disciple? None of us think he's a disciple. Very good, very churched. Some of us here might think he was a disciple. Actually, he's not. Actually, Luke wasn't even a, uh, a Jew. He was a Gentile. Um, he never met Jesus, from all accounts. But, um, he'd never seen Jesus. Um, he um, came to Christ, came to follow Christ through the teachings of Paul. And Luke was a physician. He was a, um, he was a doctor. Um, and he set about to put together an account of the life and the teachings of Jesus. Now, why is it that I've highlighted this point? I think, first of all, it's always good to know who the, who the author is when we're reading a book. It gives us a little bit of an idea of, of how, who they are, what they're thinking, how they think. And for me, Luke, being a physician, a scientist, he would have been someone who would have been rational. He would have been someone who would have um, looked deeply into statements being made. He would have got corroboration for, for um, statements. He, he, he would have investigated in a, in a scientific manner. For me, that's quite important because, um, you know, we don't want to be following something which has no foundation to it. There needs to be truth to it as well. And in this day and age where so much speculation is out there about the, um, the authenticity of the Bible, this is actually a, a real plus point because here's someone, a, a non-Jew, coming in and going around finding bits of information, putting them together, as opposed to someone who potentially might have bias like one of his followers. So in, in a way, that's really good that um, we have this account from Luke. As an eye, and um, so before we actually read from um, from the passage again, a little bit more background to the main um, characters in this passage. That's Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, forgive me straight away before, because for some reason I always say Mary instead of Elizabeth. So if I do do that, I apologise straight away. Okay, so we've got two characters: it's Zechariah and Elizabeth. Um, Zechariah and Elizabeth were both advanced in age. It says they were, they were, um, they were old. Zechariah was a priest, so he was from um, the tribe of Levi, and his role really was to serve in the temple. Um, and then we had um, uh, Elizabeth, who, um, like most women at the time, would have been at home managing the house. So that week, um, their order, Zechariah's order, 
um, was in charge of serving God in the temple. Now, in particular, it was Zechariah's turn to enter the temple and burn incense as part of their priestly duties. So Zechariah, there would have been a group of priests, and Zechariah was, they drew lots, they drew lots, and it turned out that Zechariah would now go into the temple to burn incense. Now, this was actually a very important uh, event in his life. This was probably a once-in-a-lifetime event for him. It was a great honor that he would be going into the temple in a place known as the Holy Place. The Holy Place was positioned just outside the Holy of Holies. You may have heard of the, the, the place Holy of Holies. That's where God resided. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was. It was the place that was feared. It was a place where only the high priests would enter. And if he entered in, a, in an ungodly manner, if you like, or his heart wasn't right, there was fear of death if he was to go in. So we find Zechariah just outside that place, separated by a curtain. And he's there, he's then burning his incense to, to God. So he then is confronted while he's burning his incense, or however he did that, he's confronted by an angel, by the angel Gabriel. And the angel Gabriel informs him not to be scared um, that his wife will expect a child. So he's, in, he's awestruck, he's afraid, and his next words are, paraphrase here, I don't believe you. And as a result of that, he's struck mute, he can't speak, and now we pick up the story from verse 57, and we're going to have a slide that's going to read, uh, I think we've got a um, candy will be reading over the passage, thank you. Neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by his name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbours and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. 
And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Thank you, Candy. Right. So there's four points from that passage. Four points um, I'm going to sort of delve into. Four points I want to consider. Um, number one, God never overlooks anyone. Number two, there are repercussions of not listening to God. Number three, God's promises are forever. And number four, what's God's promise for us? So God never overlooks anyone. Let's dive into that point. So even though Zechariah was an old man and his wife, Elizabeth, God used them to bring the prophet of the Most High to prepare the way of the Lord. Now, imagine, if you were the author of, of this particular scene, the most important man in the world is going to be brought in um, as a baby and you're going to set up someone to introduce that person, to lay the path for that most important person. That most important being Jesus Christ. So John's role here was to bring, um, to uh, set it all up so that he would, be, he would lay the groundwork, if you like, for Jesus to come and start his ministry. That was the real, really the role of John. And if you were... Directing, if you were the author of this, or if I was the author of this, I would be thinking, right, you know what? I'm gonna, I would like John the Baptist's parents to be someone who, or for them to be powerful, for them to be influential, for them to be, um, to have popularity. That would make sense because if they, if he's going to be introducing Jesus into the world, that's going to be a great starting off point. But actually. God does it completely differently, doesn't he? He goes against the grain. He uses um, Elizabeth, he uses Zechariah, um, both old in their age. But God, what I'm trying to get at is God really never will uh, overlook anyone. Yeah, God will never overlook anyone. In God's eyes, we're all valuable and important. When you look at Elizabeth, being old and without child, at that, at that period of time, being old and without child, people may have been looking at her and thinking, you know what, God hasn't blessed her. Why didn't God not bless her with, her ch- with children? Has she done something wrong? You know? There may have been gossip about her, but God blessed her. God never gives up on people, nor, um, nor should you. Not only did God bless her with a baby, but he also blessed her with a boy. Yeah? Not that we're being sexist, but in that day and age, having a baby was a blessing. Having a baby boy was an additional blessing because the boy would then carry on the line of that family um, and also look after the family as well. So in verse 57, it says, When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. So, if you're here and you're thinking, God doesn't need me, if you're thinking, really, actually, God doesn't care about me, he's far more interested in the person next to me, the the person who has more money, the person who has more influence, the person who has a better job, who's older or younger, 
God doesn't look at age, color, sex, what job you do, what you don't. Um, God so loved the world that he gave his son. You know, he loved the whole world. He doesn't just love a group of people. Yeah? God doesn't just love the people of Israel. He loves the whole world. And I really want to get that message across to you that actually God will never overlook you. Yeah? So when you're in those times when you're thinking, you know, God doesn't really care about me. He does. He does. He uses everyone. There are repercussions of not listening to God. There are repercussions. Um, we see with Zechariah that his, um, his not listening to the word of God through the angel, of, uh, or the angel Gabriel made him mute. And I made, it makes me think, if I was, if I was Zechariah, burning incense next to the Holy of Holies, I mean, I would have an understanding of the sacredness of God. And I can imagine, if I was there burning incense and this angel appeared, big seven-foot white, maybe winged, big sword maybe, however angels look, you know, would I have said, no, I don't believe you? Would you have said that? Probably, most of you are probably thinking, there's no way I would disagree with an angelic being if I was in the temple. That just, this guy must have been crazy. But actually, let's not judge too quickly. Let's not judge too quickly. Let's go back to Genesis. Yeah, in Genesis, we see um, Adam and Eve, don't we? And it says in Genesis um, that Adam and Eve walked and talked with God. Can you imagine it? Adam and Eve, you imagine yourself walking and talking with God in a garden. This is the God who created the universe, created the stars in the sky and the planets in the universe. Walking and talking. And God said to them, don't eat of the fruit of knowledge. Yeah? And yet they disobeyed. And yet they disobeyed. As a result of that, there was separation from God. Yeah? Adam and Eve had to leave the, the garden, had to leave God's presence, and sin entered the world. Sin results in separation from God. Now, separation from God happens when we don't listen, when we don't trust, when we don't put our faith in him. And this can happen for a finite period whilst on the earth, or if you wish, if you make the choice, it can be um, a period of separation for heaven, forever. And we call that heaven or hell. Jesus talks quite a lot about hell uh, in the New Testament. It's not something we do often in church, is it? Talk about hell. Um, in Luke chapter 12, verse 5, it says, He told his disciples to fear none but God, who alone is able to cast both body and soul into Gehenna or hell. And often reference to um, hell in the Bible um, isn't just about the afterlife. It's not just about when we die. But I do believe that actually um, there is a sense of hell on earth when we don't have Christ with us, when we don't have God with us. So let's look at life without Jesus on earth. Now, we see that Zechariah resulted, um, his, his um, not listening to God resulted in him being mute. I'm not saying that's going to happen to us, but there are repercussions that we face um, whilst we live on the earth. Now, if you think back again to the Garden of, of Eden, God created Adam and Eve. 
And God created them perfectly. It says in Genesis that when God had created everything, he looked upon it and he said that it was good. And in God's eye, good means there is no imperfection. It's perfect. However, when sin entered the world, when sin entered Adam and Eve, something left. Something left. There was a void in Adam and Eve. God had to separate himself from Adam and Eve because of that sin. And as a result of that, from that day on, everyone, every human has a void that can only be filled with God, with only filled with, with Christ. Now, we all try and fill, we all, humans have, from that day on, has tr- have tried to fill that void, that gap in our heart, that hole in our heart, with materialistic things. And that could be things like relationships, careers, sex, Drugs, materialism, religion, children, husbands, wives, sports, TV, social media. Take your pick. You could go on and on and on. We innately will have this, this emptiness. This, this People talk about, yes, this just, I feel good in myself. I'm doing this and doing that. Things are going well. But there's something missing. There's something missing. We hear it quite often. The thing about this list, it's great. All these things in the list and, and more that we could add to it, it makes us feel good for, you know, having relationships can make us feel good. Careers can make you feel good. Um, having children, if you're a sportsman, it can make you feel good. But the thing is what they also have in common is actually they can be lost very quickly as well. Yeah? If, if your identity, your value is based on relationships, we know that these things can just... Relationships can, can fall apart as well. You know? If you have a career, if, you're, if you're a value and your identity is based on your career, um, that can suddenly go as well. We've seen in the news just last week or the week before, this massive company called Twitter. You know, I'm sure the top guys in Twitter, they had it made. You know, they, were, they were up there, they were making good money, they had a, a good sense of who they were if their identity was based solely on their work. And we see a week later, Elon Musk comes along, buys this company, and all the top guys are gone. And if their faith was truly based, if their sense of identity and value was based solely on their career, boom, it goes, you know, with, with, in a, it vanishes so quickly. So, we've got to be careful what we fill our hearts with. Yeah, the proverbial hole in the heart was not God's design. God's design for you and me was to have an eternal loving relationship with him. Not because God needed it. God doesn't need us, but he loves us so much. And he realized that God, but we need, we need God. And it's good for us. Having a loving relationship with Jesus is good for us. The thing is that God's love for us was so great that he can't make you love him. Yeah, you, God's given us a choice, and love can never be forced onto one another. So God's given us a choice. God's given us a choice. Will you make that choice and say, yes, Lord, I want you to fill in that void that I have in my heart. So are you trying to fill in that void and emptiness? So if you are, and you've been searching, why not try Jesus? However, it's not all doom and gloom. Okay, there is a promise God's promises, and those promises are forever. So, 
I mean, the title of this is actually, um, uh, as he looks back, The Sound of Promise. What does that mean, though, promise? What does that actually... I like to look up um, words, I like to look at definitions. And we look up promise, we, we come up with the, uh, the definition. It's a declaration or assurance that one will do something or a particular thing will happen. Yeah. So a promise is a declaration or assurance that one will do something or a particular thing will happen. So, what does that sound of promise mean to you? When someone says, I promise you, what does it mean to you? How does it make you feel? So I was just thinking about this, and I thought, well, for me, that, would, that gives me a sense of certainty. It gives me a sense of relief. So an example would be, you know, when I tell my son um, that I'm going to pick him up after school because it's raining and he's just had double games and he's going to be tired, my son will certainly feel a sense of relief and certainty that I've promised that I'll pick him up at school. And it also there's a sense of value. The person making the promise values the person he is making it to. Yeah, so promise brings about these, these ideas of certainty, relief, value. As part of my wedding vows, I promised my wife that I would love her and care for her till death do us part. A promise was made because of how I felt towards her, the value that I placed on her, the value of our relationship and love for one another. Previously in the court of law, one would promise or swear on the Bible because there was an expectation that the witness would value the Bible to the point that he would not lie. I don't think that actually is the case nowadays, but that, that was the basis of it. So God's promises are forever, and they're not empty. They're not empty promises, and we know what, we, what I mean by empty promises. When someone comes up to you and you know they don't really value and they promise you the world, um, you know that's not, gonna, that's not what God's about. God's promises are forever because he values us. He loves us. How much does he love us? How much does he value us? He values us so much and he loves us so much that he was willing, he was willing to send his son onto this earth to die. Okay, now you've all heard that before, I'm sure. But how did Jesus die? Jesus was put to death on the cross. Now, being put on the cross was no, uh, it's not a simple case of being executed. Okay, being put on the cross was the most horrendous way of someone dying. The, the Romans were very good at it, actually. It says in the history books, they, they perfected this particular technique. And the whole idea of dying on the cross wasn't just to die, but it was to die slowly. And in some, in, in some cases, that period would have been many days. And it wasn't just a painful death, but it was a humiliating death as well. It was a death where... You would be up there, um, obviously, um, it was a physical and painful issue, but people would then also be uh, passing you by and they would curse upon you, probably spit on you. And it says in the history books, you know, that even dogs and animals would come up and have a little nibble at you as well. It was a horrible way of dying. And God allowed his son to die like that. Can you believe that, you know? The worst way to die, and God, because he loves us and values us, 
He allowed his son to die that way. So when God says he promises something, he promises it. He values us so much. God's promises are forever. And so we've heard, if you've been in church um, for a long time, you would have heard of some of God's promises, such as to strengthen us, to give us rest, to take care of all your needs, to answer your prayers, to work, for ev- to work everything out for your good. Does that sound familiar? These are good promises, huh? God promises to be with you, to protect you, uh, to freedom from sin. And I'm sure, as I said before, if you've been around church long enough, these are things that you would, uh, you would hear very often. And we can gain assurance in this. Yeah? We get peace, strength. But sometimes, you know, these promises don't work out if we're really honest and fair. You know, sometimes we pray for things and we, and we pray into these promises, but they sometimes don't seem to be um, what we expect. So my dad, I'll tell you a story about my dad. My dad was, um, uh, some of you may know him very well here actually. He was, he was a Christian for many years. He was a man of faith, a real man of faith. Um, any moment, spare moment he had, he would read from the Bible, make notes. We used to have a shop actually. And um, Behind the counter, there were notes everywhere. Any scrap of paper, you know, there were notes that he made from the Bible. Any person that he could speak to about the message, the good news, he was there. You know, he was a real follower of of Christ, very faithful. Unfortunately, a few years ago, he he developed cancer. And um, as Christians, you know, we we prayed into it and we we were faithful. We prayed, fasted. Many people prayed, fasted. Um... And we were expecting the promises of God to be fulfilled. We were expecting a miracle. We were expecting deliverance. We were expecting a a healing. God's promise of a Messiah took about 2,000 years. You know? So God's promise isn't sometimes... um, God's promise is forever. We agree with that, don't we? God's promise is forever. But sometimes we have to wait. And it's something very difficult to hear. To really understand God's promises, we've got to have an eternal perspective. Yeah? Sometimes when, whilst on this earth, we expect everything when we think we should have it. You know? And... We've got, to, we've got to be very careful about that. You know, God doesn't see us as, you know, Joe Massey being on earth for about 80 odd years or 90 or 100. You know, God sees the big picture. He, he doesn't look at the finite. He looks at the infinite. He looks at eternity. So when we think of God's promises, don't expect them to be answered when you want them. Yeah? Trust God for them in his time, in this life or next. And that's hard, isn't it? That's really hard. But really, going back to my story with my dad, yes, we promise for healing. Is he healed? Yes, he's, pro- he's healed. And one day, when I see him in heaven, I will see him healthy, and I will rest, and I will be strengthened when I see him. You know, 
God takes, prayers, takes care of all of your needs. And he will answer all of your prayers, not necessarily on this earth. Okay? We can't just expect God to do what we want. And there's, there is sometimes, if you, if you read books and watch certain um, religious, Christian um, teachings, you know, this is the idea that we can have everything we want on the earth now. Okay, it doesn't, unfortunately, I don't think that's quite the truth. So, God's promises are forever, but um, sometimes you have to wait for them. (laughs) Sometimes you have to wait for them. So what did God promise us? Verse 67 of the passage, it says, His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, which means to tell the future. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us and in the house of his servant David, as he said through his prophets of long ago. So what did God say through his prophets long ago? It goes back to what I'm talking about, Genesis, the Old Testament. Described the awaited Messiah's birth. In particular, the prophets foretold that the Savior would be born of a woman and would defeat Satan to redeem humanity from Satan's deception of our first parents. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, is a verse that we will be quite familiar with in this time of Christmas. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So what has God promised us? He's promised us a saviour, a redeemer, a wonderful counsellor, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. In Zechariah's um, time, a lot of the people of Israel would have seen this prophecy as, uh, they, they would have viewed the Messiah as a, as a king, someone that was going to lead them out of bondage, someone that was going to lead them out of the, the tyranny of the, of the Romans. What's God's promise for me? You know, when, when I was preparing and when I have prepared in the past for, for preachers and sermons, you'd often go to, I'd go to um, commentaries, do a bit of a Google search and have a look and see what people would say. But I thought, actually, you know what? After being about 35 years of, of being a Christian, I should have my own answer. What is God's promise for me? What is your, what's God's promise for us? So I just started to write. God's promise for me is not, limit, not limited on this earth. It's for eternity. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of the world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is from another place. So God's promise for me is not, link, not limited to this. It's God's promise to me will never be broken. God's promise to me is his love will never cease, never be retracted, even for a short period. It will never fault, never falter, and it's constant. God sees me as a righteous child, clothed in the most splendor of robes. God doesn't see my sin, but something that has washed them away the blood of Jesus. His love is there even when I don't talk to him or appear interested in him. He's still there. God's promise to me is always about 
It's always about him being waiting for me with his arms outstretched, as in the, the story of the prodigal son. God's promise is the forgiveness of all my sins. God's promise to me is to be born again and live a life with him on this earth and throughout eternity. God's promise can go on and on. And I'm going to throw it out there to you now. A bit of interaction. What's God's promise for you? Is anyone going to shout out a few promises that God has for them? Or should I have not included that bit? Huh? Is anyone going to shout back at me? God's promises for you are? Never leave us or forsake us. Thank you. Sorry? Excellent. Plan of good and not evil. That's excellent. Anyone else? Eat the good of the land. Like it. Nice. Sorry? Heaven. Excellent. With long life, he will satisfy us. Absolutely. He promises us his presence. Excellent. You know, God is so personal, isn't he? You know, he's so personal. And it's amazing that we feel God's presence. When I think about, when you, when you look at, um, I, like, I like comparing religions actually, worldviews, I like comparing them and, and seeing what, what they have. And a, a huge distinction, a huge difference actually is, is this personal nature that we have of being Christians. You know, the sense of that fatherhood, a sense of, you know, just coming to him as we are. You know, the prayers that we have, there's no... Need to sit in a cave, is there? As Ensign was talking about, um, or, or, or be in a jungle to, to try and get closer to God. You know, we can do that in our bedrooms, in our workplaces, in our car, wherever, having a shower, singing a song of worship. You know, isn't, isn't it amazing? Absolutely amazing. It's good to hear those promises. Right, I've gone off script. Where am I? Where am I? Okay. Um, The Lord gives his people the knowledge, again going back to the passage, the Lord gives his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Christmas is about the tender mercy of God who provides us with a hope, a saviour and life in abundance. It says in Psalms chapter three, 23, verse 6, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Sound of promise. That is the sound of promise. You know, it's an amazing promise that we have. And, you know, I just want to encourage you all to remember that sound of promise that God's given us. So, when you go home, and yes, we can feel all uplifted and we can emotionally and spiritually be charged, you know, coming on a Sunday. And as we get through the week, we get through the week and we're surrounded by things that um, are different, yeah? People's views are different, you know? And it's, it's up to us to be a light in the world. It's, and when we're feeling down, I would encourage you to remember the sound of, of God's promise for us. Thank you.
listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.